Okay. So, we have gone through and interspersed interviews with the, all the different characters, but the one person we haven't interviewed is... Me. So, uh, I'm here with Drew. Say hello, And I Drew. get to interrupt right here because that's not how this is going to run today. As you okay. can tell, my voice is taking over for today. Yes, like you haven't heard it enough. Yes. But Michael is absolutely correct. Uh, as the mastermind behind the story from Relic of the Past podcast. Evil mastermind, please. Well, there have been some good stuff. Not a lot, but some. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, um, you always are so great with asking us questions about our characters and keep, keeping things going that it, it's very seldom we get to turn the table on you or anybody for that matter who's yeah. just behind the screen to create these wonderful stories. So I, uh, behind the scenes, little secret, you know, I reached out to Michael with uh, another player who unfortunately could not make it here today. Mm -hmm. And he sent us some talking points and I have a few of my own questions. So we're going to do an interview with Michael, the DM. Okay. Very good. Well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> he says, as I tied him to the chair, yes. um, no, just kidding. So, for all our listeners that know or some that haven't, we've been doing this podcast for about five years. Um, did you ever really think it'd go past two years? Because you had made a comment that you thought two years and that'd be it. Well, like I said, and when we first started this thing out, I figured like, yeah, we kind of take it two years tops. And in a lot of the other um, podcasts that we've seen that have kind of come and gone because they've, they've ended have really, I mean, it's after a couple of years, they've run through their entire run. So I, I don't know whether they're just, um, well, part of it is... Um, that this just took longer than we thought because we had all of the side quests going on. And, and for those of you that don't know, um, the side quest kind of started out because we um, needed an episode for that particular week uh, and the cast couldn't get together. So the cast that could get together, we went and just ran this little side quest and then those ended up turning into full storylines. And, you know, we, we didn't kind of imagine they'd be storylines to begin with, but in the end, you know, it's like we ended up with the Tabaxi storyline and the Dragon line, dragon storyline. And uh, so, yeah, it ended up taking a life of its own. But that, when you think about it, it padded this whole thing by about a third or more because we had all these other storylines we had to, to win through. Um, but, yeah, so it, you figured it would take about two years at max to do, and here we are in year five, so go figure. Yeah, never, uh, never underestimate a player and a creative licensing to ex not extend time on things. Mm -hmm. Um, you sent me an email with a lot of talking points with little marks saying, you know, here I have secrets and I think you have secrets pretty much for the entire story. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that, well, and, and it's not just secrets. It's just like things I wish I'd done or wish I hadn't done or, or what have you, but, or, or things that you guys completely bald face missed that mm -hmm. I'm you know, never, never even got to see or things that worked or didn't work or something like that. So as a part-time DM myself, I know there's usually that one thing that I can never get out of my head that I really wished a party had done. So before I go into talking points, because I think that's a really good one, is there that one thing, no matter how hard you try, it always comes into your mind of, wow, I wish they'd either found or I had been able to show them this. Uh, well, And a side note, because we know we're still recording, if there's any spoilers, just say that's a spoiler and we'll skip through it. Yeah. Um, actually, the, the party's done a pretty good job of um, picking up on everything. I mean, the, it... it as we go through the list there, there'll be a bunch of them that it'd be like, oh, yeah, this they, they totally glossed over this and that thing. But but actually, the thing that just sticks out in my mind the, the entire time um, that I wish maybe I had done differently was um, in the death of Orlana. Um, when I first conceived of that particular recording day, because a lot of the times, you know, since I'm DMing for a recording, I have an idea of how much time it's going to chew up. So it's like, okay, well, you know, this 
thing that I've written up here is going to fill an episode. This thing I've written up here is going to fill an episode. This one won't fill an episode, so we'll have to like maybe do these two together. Um, and when I kind of conceived of it, uh, what happened during the death of Orlana was going to fill an entire episode. But then we got done and it filled up like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And um, so, I mean, that's always bugged me ever since then. It's like, you know, I could have made that so much more nail biting. You know, you guys like were fireballing and all this. I mean, I just could have kept having the undead coming up the hill at you for like a full hour until you were just completely out of all resources. And, you know, maybe a couple of players were down and the zombies were still coming. And then Orlana could have run down the hill and exploded herself and, and saved everybody. But um, just the way it panned out, uh, you know, ended up taking way too fast. And so I, I you know, we, we went for the rest of the episode and you, you got your way all the way to uh, Ferrum Mons. But, you know, it's always kind of eaten me in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, that one I really did screw up and could have done a whole lot better, um, you know, just dragging that whole thing out. Okay. Um, I think that uh, one of the questions that, you know, I, I often notice in terms of, uh, or I've been wanting to ask, and by all means we can edit this out if this is something you want to answer. There's different types of storytelling mm -hmm. that, I've, that I've noticed. Um I have a friend who is very much the open storyteller, which was he has a very bare bones idea, but he literally has the ability to take the story any direction he wants just off the bare bones. Whereas I am the other way. I write out a lot and then I find out I still haven't written enough. For you, I noticed it's more like, I think you have an idea of where the story's already going. It's almost like improv, like you're setting the stage, let us improv, then you bring us to the next stage. Is that is that an accurate Absolutely, for you? absolutely, yeah. Well, and, and part of it is just that, um, you know, to a degree, it's my style. Um, like, you know, you guys just got into the uh, hall of the uh, king of the... Of the uh, of Storm King. Storm King, and, you know, the, the, the monarch of the seas. This is the entire sheet I use to plan that. It's one sheet, listeners. <laughs> Literally, and one sheet, half a drawing on one, one sheet. It's like, it's like a hand sketch, not even on graph paper, of the map of the building, and then just some notes on what each of the rooms is, and then everything else is just coming out of the back of my mind. Um, but so um, I do have kind of you know, like I said, I, like you said, I have an idea of where it's going. Um, for the first five levels, I actually had planned everything out and written everything out. Um, very, very detailed wise, but for the um, some of the rest of it, it's been, you know, either I don't know what you're going to do, so I'm going to have to make it up when I get there, um, or I, uh, you know, just, it just seems more organic to have it just, you know, a, a sketch of it and then make it up as, as we uh, enter there. Now, there have been other parts like the, uh, the uh, Cloud Giant Castle where I kind of realized that I didn't know where you're going to go. You could have invaded from the towers and fought your way in. You could have bluffed your way in the front, which is what you ended up doing. You could have tried to sneak in. So basically, I did actually map that entire thing out with what's in every room and all that stuff. Just because, you know, it was going to be difficult to keep uh, everything straight, and which rooms you'd gone to and what you'd found, if it wasn't all just written out. When you're planning out your buildings, in this case, we'll, we'll use the storm or mm -hmm. the cloud giants as an example, where do you draw your inspiration from for the, how to these layouts of these buildings? Like, ah. Are you going to like classical scenes from the medieval times or is this all off the cuff? Um, so here's where you can cheat as dungeon masters. So um, if anybody has seen the map that I drew up of the cloud giants castle, 
Um, now, do you remember the the picture I pointed at, I put up here for everyone to see? Yeah, Noosh Weissenstein, the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Mad King's uh, you know fantasy castle in in Bavaria, the one that actually the the uh, Cinderella's castle was patterned after in in Walt Disneyland. I think I know. I think I have a picture of that. Yeah. in the snow because I liked it how much. Yes, it, yes, I think it's the same very one. famous one. Yes, um, somebody actually published a, a floor plan for that. So I oh. took that and then, it, I mean, it was too long, so I shortened it up. But right. I basically just took that whole cloth and then just, and then, then you know, just took the, the floor plan and then said, okay, well, and then, you know, this will be this room, this will be this room, this will be this room. So I, I you know, took the bare bones of the floor plan and made it work for the the uh, cloud giants. But then also that's why the knights and the ladies were separated on completely opposite sides of the castle because that's the way the layout was in the Mad King's castle. Okay. There was the knight's wing and the lady's wing. And so uh, um, in that fashion, that's how we created the canon for how the two genders are separated in the cloud giants. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but it's like, hey, it's like, here's an inspiration. Let's just keep going with it. So I noticed that, uh, at least in my opinion, and I'm, I haven't had a chance to really talk to the other players about it, but I've noticed that, at least with certain cities, I can see drawn from popular pop culture, like mm-hmm. the Tabaxi is the easiest one to say. Sometimes I think it's very avatarish, but is it was that something you drew from, or did you just... Actually... Um, or did they draw it from you? Actually, it may be the way who's did Didn't actually get it from Avatar. Um, there was a the uh, Sword of Shannara series. The elves yeah. lived in the trees. And so that kind of was the inspiration for that, which okay. which was hilarious because everybody criticized the uh, the author of Sword and Shannara for basically just ripping off of uh, Tolkien. I think the problem with that is yeah. that you can never can say that, but the problem is there's only so many creative ideas. And after a yes. while, it's you're you're bound to trip over something someone else has written yep. in some way. Yeah, as I seen, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yet, and as the further we played this, you know, we're now on year five, heading towards six. Um, the one thing that has been consistent from your world that I've noticed is the, well, because magic is making a resurgence and old magic, we'll call it, like mm-hmm. the weapons, gear, jewelry, still very much rare. Yes. Um, yes. That- this whole thing was basically kind of my take on Tolkien. So okay. there was an old world and a new up and coming world. And, and sort of like in the Lord of the Rings series, you know, the, the there's no real... Um, prevent you know prevalent magic you don't go into a, a a tavern and there's a magic user and and a sorcerer you know playing illusionary uh, chess there with their magic or something like that um not like, a, yeah, like even a high the elves ma- didn't do that in that series yeah yeah and but yeah but yet it uh, kind of pervades things and then there's the older world that kind of peeks through so that was that was kind of the inspiration for the feel i wanted for the, for this world okay um looking at the timeline because i know that i'm gonna be have a million and one questions around the timeline. I want to start with the very first one, which is the forming of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've hit that a lot of times, um, especially Matthew and I in this case. Um, but I'm actually going to touch on uh, Jesse because I think Jesse did it right versus Matt and I just telling you. Mm-hmm. I did the Dragonborn, Matthew did the t- Tiefling, and you went, oh, well, crud. Neither one of us knew that you'd been talking to Jesse about this half elf. So I'm. Curious is why you just didn't say, uh, sorry, those races don't work. Well, you know, I could have gone and just outright banned it. Um, but at the same time, um, it was so much fun to not. It's like, okay, well, why is there a tiefling here? Are we going to have tiefling everywhere? Is this, you know, is this going to be like a high magic campaign where you walk in and there's, you know, a kobold and a tiefling and Asimar all sitting at the same table playing dice? Or do we want something that's more, like I said, it was, it was kind of my take on Tolkien. So, 
you know, you had the kind of the, you know, the lack of a better word, the mundane races, the core races. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, but why do we have these rare races that are, you know, rare in in the, uh, the PHB? And it's like, well, what if that was the only tiefling? Why would there be only tiefling? What if he was created by one of the people in the underworld to create chaos? Why would he do that? Ah, because he wanted a promotion, so he's going to do this special project to get a promotion. Why would he want a promotion? Because he's a middle manager type. He's trying to work his way up the ladder. That was a whole, you know, kind of inspiration. So that one thing led to the other, led to another. And same thing with the Dragonborn. It's like you're like Dragonborns. Okay, why would they be Dragonborn? We didn't have Dragonborn. Oh, maybe they're the barbarians of the mountains. Maybe you have this whole mountain community that lives up there. Well, what I liked about it is, and I really didn't even draw that correlation you just said, is that there are a lot of Dragonborn. I mean, there are. There are mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And there may be more because we were so expand that. But you're right. There has only so far been one tiefling. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that we only have just the one. And I don't think any, I don't even think Matt's even really thought about it, that through five years we have not encountered. And mm. we've been all over the map. Yeah. And that's because it's not like the forces of the underworld are creating tieflings right and left. No, this one guy did this one project, created a, a uh, you know, basically avatar of himself on the... Uh, on the prime material plane just to go out and cause havoc because he knew that he'd be rejected. He would cause chaos and, and would then, you know, want to go and, and hurt and maim in, in revenge uh, for the treatment he had. So, he, you know, he, he created this creature knowing it was going to cause chaos and, hey, that was going to give him points in the underworld. So point of clarification then when we fought the ice devil up mm-hmm. in the mountain, up in the clouds, was that not an avatar? Well, I mean... Was that his natural form? It, it, it was his form. As you know, for the, the cosmology and Dungeons and Dragons, um, creatures from the underworld, from the, the Nine Hells and the Abyss, when they uh, appear on the prime material plane, um, that is the kind of, for lack of a better term, their projection. So you kill them there, but then that just banishes them back to the underworld and they can't reappear on the prime material plane until something happens. Which is uh, stuff that we yeah. would not know as characters, but yeah. more experienced players be like, well, we might have get him, but we didn't actually get him. Yeah, you, you actually have to venture to their native plane and, and slay them there in order to... Uh, so you, are you yeah. keeping with that conical? Is that one yeah, that, that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what I kind of guess we were doing that, but I obviously wouldn't mm-hmm. know that. Um, I was looking through the first year basically and the one thing that i landed on docking bay 94 and if anyone listened to the interview with jesse jesse you let up slip that that's the same bay as the millennium falcon and star wars and that made me think of this next question which is similar to the tiefling having you know there's only one tiefling but i know there have been a thousand easter eggs oh yes and i know lots and lots and lots and lots fact we've maybe gotten a dozen of them like i've like i know i caught onto the crushers Mm -hmm. from star trek um, I forget which one caught cottoned on to the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, Jesse, I totally Je- missed Jesse that. figured that because she she's um, yeah. studied Latin in I, school. I totally missed the whole Docking Bay '94. I would not yeah. have gotten out, and I'm a big Star well, Wars in, fan. Well, and Jesse missed, missed that, that even though she figured I was the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Although that was because she finally realized it. I don't know, six or eight episodes later, and yeah. you know, and so if that, it doesn't ruin the game, what are your top? We'll say five Easter eggs we did not get that you swore we would go. Hey, wait a minute. Um. Well. I don't know about the top five, but uh, the, the one that I thought you guys would cotton on to right away that nobody did, or at least if you did, you didn't get any, any indication. Um, do you remember the squire that um, uh, Cotter was given during the Port of Magnum Mexico Barium mm-hmm. Police War? I thought it was funny. No. What, 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 you, cause I don't the, remember his name. Don't ask. I do not remember it, his name. It's William. But then um, someone, as you were passing by, one of his contemporaries at the at the squire level called him Billy, and he said it only his mother gets to call him Billy. 
Uh, I'm, this is why I missed it. I wouldn't have picked this up. What is this? Billy Squire. I, again. The musician. Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, you weren't around one. during the 80s? Yeah. No, I was. I yeah. just don't remember Billy Squire. Like I said, these are the ones I knew you would swear mm-hmm. we'd get, but I yeah. don't remember. I don't know who Billy Squire. And I'm yeah, sure someone's was, going, was, you don't know who Billy Squire? No, was, I don't. He was a uh, rock and roller during the 80s. So now, now that's your homework to go look that one up. That would have made more sense if he was a bard. Oh, and that's another question. What, where did you come? I'm sorry. I'm going to segue, keep going, keep going. segue the great. musician into it. What is up with Nissian? Well, you're going to have to wait and see. Oh, you suck so badly right now. <laughs> I, I do promise, however, there, uh, um, when when we do finally get done with the uh, the series, all of these things will be resolved and you get, you'll be able to see all of what happened. I had a thought on Nissian. I'm not going to say it now because I'm probably wrong, but I had a thought on it. I'm just not going to say it. Okay, good. But because uh, even if I'm right, then I'm just going to ruin the surprise and we're almost at the end. So, but Nissian has been on my mind uh, just because he's, he's to me, he's the ultimate question mark person right now. The NPCs. I understood Sam Neill. I think we called him the hunter. The great, the great hunter. Yeah. I got him because we talked about how he, who he was modified after I got that totally missed Billy Squire. Um, but uh, he's the one who has the ultimate question mark. What I, I'm not—I want to ask so many questions, but I don't want to ruin anything. But I, I cannot wait to find out more about him. Um, I've got one down here that says "Don't split the party," and I know we've done that. I, th- I want to say not more than four times. Well, that was actually the name of the episode because yes. that was the one where you had invented, entered the Wantai. Uh, right you know uh, encampment and half of you went to one side of the building one half went to the other side of the building but then the group that came out was you know heavily overweighted on the side that the two monks went to mm-hmm. and they ended up having to retreat back to you one of them got slammed to the ground you had to go and raise them up and and yeah just the, the the old you know um adage of don't split the party you know when you do that bad things happen yeah well uh, so i want to use that to segue into a different question i don't think i've ever heard anyone ask this so as a an experienced player. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion of the makeup of this particular party? When we started yeah. at the very start, level ones, what was your what was your thought about the party? Well, it, it was what it was. Um, that is that, a cop out. What yeah, did you no, think? If, if you remember, there was a different cast that began that we first started with, which was if you remember, we had a group one and a group yes. two of the play test for D and D next, and you were in group two, and. Um, so we had group one included um, two of the gals, two of the teenage girls that were playing. And uh, so we actually recorded the first episode and then we didn't record for three months because it, it wasn't the problem that we had girls in the group is we had teenage girls with their, you know, really busy social calendars. And, you know, one was available, the other one wasn't, one was available, the other one wasn't. And we had to take a step back and say, okay, you know, this is three months, this is getting silly. Uh, we're doing something wrong and, and clearly what we're doing wrong is, is, you know, we've, we've got, well, a, we had too many people. We had six instead of five. So that was six calendars that we had to go and coordinate. Um, and then, you know, we had two players that basically couldn't commit. And, you know, when we talked to them, they just basically couldn't commit to being there on a regular basis. So we had to step back and retool. And, um, because we actually had had one episode recorded. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so, uh, that's when, um, you know, so we dropped from six to five and then that's when Matt told us, Oh, you know, my friend Jesse is available and we're like, hey, can't you be there on a regular basis? Yeah, good. Okay. She's in. Yeah. Um, and then of course the, you know, they said we got two, uh, monks. It's like, okay. Um, cause we had a fighter, 
a sorcerer, mm-hmm. two monks. This is after the and the uh, paladin and a paladin. And and if you remember in the original group, we had a rogue, a cleric, a paladin, uh, and a fighter and a monk. So it was it was a much more diverse cast plus more it's balanced. Still, still very martial. Yeah, but but very balanced, a little bit more balanced. Um, and then so we lost the rogue and the cleric, and uh, then in, added a monk. So. Um, you know, all of a sudden it's like, and we've got no healers. We've just got one part-time healer. And part of me was just like, yeah, let's go forward with this and see how well it works. Let's see if we can do it with a paladin. And then the other thing is, if you're a good enough dungeon master, you should be able to make it happen with no matter what the party is. I mean, even if it's five fighters, you know, you can design in. You can say, okay, you know, healing potions are readily available. And you can all just go down to the Seven Eleven and and pick up healing potions, and yeah, and you can make well, it happen. magic may not be heavy. Uh, um, not alchemy, the other one. Uh, herbology. Herbology and, is yeah. still a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I know with with my character, I've given you quite a few many challenges. Um, starting off as a fighter, split cat, split leveling, split leveling with a complete revamp of that other half, mm-hmm. and then again, try cutting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now you see uh, Jesse's kind of exploring a little bit of the multi-casting or multi-classing mm-hmm. rather. When we started, there what multi-classing was almost unheard of in this next edition, and the the, the idea was there, but there there hadn't been videos on um, you know how to best mid-max your splits. Mm-hmm. So you and I learned together. Yeah, we did, all did as we went. Yeah. Did, yeah, did um, what challenges does that make you as a dungeon master with somebody who's still learning about multi-classing like I was um, says, Hey, this isn't balanced. How do we do this? Or that's not balanced. How's that? Or I'm really not liking this character now because even multi-classing, it doesn't wedge. What advice would you give to other people that are facing that now? Oh, well, so if you're a dungeon master and you're one of your uh, players comes and say, Hey, you know, I'm having a trouble with the character. You, you, you want to kind of sit down and say, okay, well, what can we do that'll make this happen? I mean, it may be, you know, like re-roll. So we have to write your character out of the story and, you know, you come in with a new character. You know, that could, that could be the solution. Um, or like you could say, you know, it's like, okay, we got a min-max or not min-max, but we got a multi-class, this uh, character and, um, you know, see, you know, let them explore that. And as, as you found out with the barbarian cleric uh, thing, that particular multi-class really didn't work. Um, but, you know, so you came to me and said, you know, it's like, I, you know, I really need to, like, get rid of all of the uh, barbarian and, and do the cleric. It's like, well, is there a story reason that this works? Yes, there is. Yeah. So, you know, and, and if there's a story reason why it works, hey, why not? Right. You know, you don't have to, you know, stick with the things. And especially if you're in, like, a high magic campaign, there's probably a gazillion ways that you could actually go and achieve that sort of balance. But when you're running what you're running right now, mm-hmm. which is a very low magic, and, mm-hmm. and I, again, I feel it's like it's important to say that because, well, yes, um, with, I'm going to say basically Owen and myself, having now those top tier spells that everyone loves mm-hmm. to play with, it, it can throw things out of whack. So finding yeah. the way to do it is important, I would say. Yeah, well, and there's a couple of things there. I mean, it, you know, for a dungeon master, if you write up, you know, the perfect encounter and then like somebody high rolls on their big spell that they drop, um, you can go and kind of improvise on the fly. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you just blew up this guy, but now four of these smaller guys suddenly appear from around the corner to help out and, you know, send in reinforcements. Or, you know, you say, okay, you did this much damage, but um, I'm now going to make the the baddie have 150% hit points so that instead of entering, you know, ending in one round, this is going to end in four, and it, you know, it's still going to be the same outcome, but it'll now be more 
um, difficult work and the party will feel like they accomplished something and not just, you know, high rolled somebody and, 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 uh, you know, just totally rolled over them. Okay. So taking that and switching gears, cause I wanted to get back into their wonderful storyline. I just had a curious, it just popped in my head as a good advice there. You may, um, again, as a DM, you have to put, when you're playing, pitting your creations and your characters, which is what this entire world is, you know, like you say, mm-hmm. in your, from, you know, the world that lives in your mind, you've made some very good and notable NPCs, some good, some evil, some just completely sneaky and mm-hmm. subtle. Which one's been one of your more favorite ones to bring about? And I'm going to already right off the bat, I'm going to take out Lowell and I'm going to take out Nissian. Okay. Cause it's Dania. I love having Dania on board. She she's sassy and but she's also very, you know, straightforward. She's she's, you know, salt of the earth. So I just love it when she's she's in the campaign because she can just like talk, you know, boldly to your face. Uh, but at the same time also, you know, she's you know, kind of humble and, and down to earth at the same time. I had a, a moment with her and it was after I opened my mouth as Craval and really kind of wrote something I shouldn't have done when I think about it, but because she was the uh, she was Han Solo. Mm-hmm. the smuggler and then without even talking to you because it just it just came out my mouth when we were role-playing off the cuff i kind of shoehorned the character and becoming respectable and i remember we had a moment where you're she, she was like well thanks a lot Craval. now i have all this money and a new boat and i have all this work that i don't know what to do with and all i think to say was you're welcome yeah <laughs> it wasn't until you did that that I was like, wow, I really kind of shoehorned one of his NPCs, didn't I? Well, actually, did you plan on her that? actually doing that anyway, or was that just like, no, no, was that uh, just like, again? Okay, thanks a lot, player. We're gonna do this now. Yeah, the 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 inspiration for that whole transformation was actually from the the musical My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. where you know all of a sudden um, the uh, because of the machinations, the uh, her her father, the drunkard, ends up be you know being called in as the speaker and becomes a respectable man because he's now giving speeches on on the on the life of the common man, and then now that um, he's a respectable man, his common law wife wanted to be married so she could be a respectable woman. So all of a sudden, by the Eliza, you know her connections with the doctor now you know leaking over to her father he had to be respectable and you know he went from being this you know enjoying his life more or less for lack of a better term as you know a, a penniless drunkard uh, workman to all of a sudden now having to be a respectable person and you know that wholly affecting his life so um, I saw that exact same thing when it happened to Donia it's like she was very happy living you know below the radar and and scraping a, a living together, smuggling things back and forth. But now she was above the radar and had to be a respectable person. Thanks a lot. Okay, so I'm going to take that as I didn't do too bad of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we started off. Uh, we started off with six. Mm-hmm. We got to five. Yeah, we were five for a very long time. Without sounding like accusatory, I'm curious what made you want to bring in a six again. So there was two things that wanted me to do that. Um, one of them was um, just the way the storyline worked out. Um, we really kind of needed to have uh, someone enter the party from the tabaxi and, you know, bring in that connection to that knowledge. So, um, and you had interface with Jade Claw a couple of times. And then Jade, most of us had, yeah. Yeah. And then Jade Claw herself had been um, featured a number of times 
in the uh, storylines. And actually, be, the way that Melanie got in as Jade Claw is just we were woefully short of people and we had to make a recording. So we did a tabaxi episode and, and basically I told her, like, we need somebody for this episode. And she's like, kind of like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll make up a character. And, uh, or actually, we gave her a character. Yeah, but this, I think you gave her Jade Claw. Yeah. And um, then but she would later revamp it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then for the six, there was um, a couple of things going on there. But uh, biggest thing for me was we had Jesse and a bunch of guys. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you've listened around to other podcasts and stuff, but it's always, it always seems to bring the podcast up if you have more girls on the podcast than guys. Or not than guys, but with guys. And, mm-hmm. and you know, um, it would be nice if it was a 50-50 split. But that's not the people we had. But so it's like, yeah, this would bring the party up if we had a um, another another female player on board. And I, I went and just asked her, you know, it's like, would you like to join the cast? And in the past, she'd always said no. But in the intervening years, she had joined several D and D games. Really learned to love D and D. Was more confident in her ability on the microphone. And this time, much to my surprise, said yes. So we wrote her into the into the uh, storyline. Well, last night before we came to do this, I was letting some thoughts roll through my head. One that kind of came up on that mm-hmm. uh, path is that around our table, we have a generational D&D event happening. Yes. Um, we have Matthew, yourself, and me. Um, old and school. I, so I'm sorry, not proper English. And I. Yes. Uh, be, and I, old school, you go all the way back to the very beginning Red Book, I think, mm-hmm, that yeah. I've heard so much about. I came in in second edition. I'm not entirely sure where Matthew came in, but from listening to mm-hmm. talk, I think he's almost Red Book as well. And for those who don't understand that, I think the original Dungeon Dragon, the very original, was a Red Book. Red Box, yeah. Red Box. Yeah, the basic Red box. set. That's it. And, I, and actually, I was Purple Box. I don't know that. that. Was, they actually had two basic sets back in the day written by two guys that were essentially the same, but the artworks are different. One, one had the red red box cover with the uh, the dragon. The other one had this guy with a spear and a sorceress gal with what looked like a flaming candelabra that were facing off against... Um, Wyvern dragon climbing out of a out of a uh, a pool of water down a you know that we're down a set of stairs in a dungeon. Yeah, my my first picture that I want to think about Dungeons and Dragons it was uh, a barbarian woman and she's standing over a what looks like some sort of giant or troll who has a oh, yes. ring in his nose. Yes. And she's holding mm, yes, the ring, holding in the one ring hand, yes, the sword in the other, and she clearly she just completely owned this guy. Mm-hmm. Very very. But that very second edition one, right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I bring up the generational things, I think it's interesting is that. Without even meaning to, you've got uh, Bryce Owen and your daughter, Melanie, Mm -hmm. and Jesse. Very similar in age, but all of them very vastly different in personalities, even the brothers and sister. Mm -hmm. Especially the brothers and sister. (laughs) I think, well, I think that's important because you have, I mean, it's easy to say two generations, but it's almost more like three just because Mm -hmm. Jesse is old. She's kind of in the middle there. She's kind of in the middle, but she's still, but she represents a different. group of people i think mm-hmm. than melanie does melanie's a totally different the more you get to know her and we haven't really got chance to know her much yet she's another personality another genre herself and then you know bryce and owen college boys still vastly different mm-hmm. while similar and then you know you get back in the older crowd i always I, i've just found myself being proud that I, I think in a lot of podcasts that pander to like a male crowd because they do like all girls or it's the classic group it's all guys mm-hmm. Was it your intention to create a podcast that would have multi-generational representation? Well, it certainly wasn't. Um, 
to begin with, it's like, like I said, we had the two um, play test groups. And I, you know, I asked, it originally was going to be like play test. If you remember our conversations, play test group one was going to be like this campaign. Mm-hmm. And then play test two, we were going to do like Dragonlance or something like that. We would do something or maybe we, you know, just constantly, um, up, you know, updating old AD&D modules and running through those. And so we I, we actually kind of thought about doing two separate podcasts just with the two different groups. And then when I went to group one, like, could you imagine doing that now? Oh, I can't. Yeah, what was <laughs> I thinking? I don't know. And uh, it was so easy. You just like record no, them and go not. and uh, um, hold that thought because we're going to go there in a second. Yeah. And then um, the uh, I went to group one and like uh two of the six or three of the six people in group one are like, Oh no, I was really only here for the play test. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for having me. And uh, sayonara. It's like, okay then. So all of a sudden we had to combine groups one and two and which uh, obviously at this point, I think was a gift more than a hindrance. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, um, but, uh, yeah, so then it's like, okay, who do we have that's available? So it just kind of became a pickup campaign where it's like, you know, you know, it's like, who, you know, okay, grab him, grab him, grab him, grab her quick. Let's go. And so we had to just kind of make do with what we had, which it turned out to be was pretty good to have what we had. Awesome. Well, on that note, because you hit on it, I wanted to ask you this because for, for the, again, you interview us, we don't interview you. So mm-hmm. I'm going to peek behind the screen as it were. You are a scout leader and you have been for many mm-hmm. years. You are also a uh, hockey player. Mm-hmm. You play goalie, I believe, right? Yep. It's the only you, civilized position. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing in hockey. Even I know that. <laughs> um, but you also, you you do uh, volunteer work. You Obviously, you run, you know, you're a fully functioning adult with a job and a wife and more children. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing a thousand things. Like, I also, you grow grapes for winery. Yeah. The ham radio. Yep. That's another one I was just thinking of. Good Lord, man, what made you want to do a podcast on top of all of that? Well, if, if you remember, the genesis for the podcast was that, um, and, and you were in, in the, the Boy Scout troop at the time. Yes. Um, and we would play. Um, As a father, not a child. Yes. Uh, and we would play the <laughs> uh, the uh, Dungeons Dragons podcast for the as in the cars as we were driving to and from the scout events, mm-hmm. you know, partially to evangelize. The, 4E the one, funding. I believe. Yeah. Um, and then, and partially just cause we wanted to listen to the fun thing and we don't really have any time outside of, uh, scouts to do that. Um, and then if you remember when we were doing that, we were running out of clean podcasts to do. Yeah. And then I, which I, is a big thing when you have a bunch of boys yeah. and you're very much responsible for what they hear while they're with you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta be a hundred percent sure that, especially if you have like 10 or 11 year olds on the car with you, that what you are playing on the radio is going to be guaranteed clean and and uh you know not have anything in it you don't expect um anyway but uh i remember bemoaning that fact and this was at the end of the play test and i think it was matt who said well why don't we just do our you know you know podcast our our upcoming campaign and we looked into it it looked really easy <laughs> and and so we did five years ago yeah, yeah. five years ago it looked easy as heck yeah. actually it was we'll tell you the truth five years ago it was a lot more hard to do than it is now because i mean we we now we've yeah. got the equipment now we've got all the pieces yeah, and parts that can actually make it happen back then we did growth yeah um one of the challenges i think that uh, that is a constant thing and i think only people in the know of podcasting will probably nod along with this is it's not actually writing the stories or getting people at the table even it's the 
editing. Yes. I remember that first year you and I had to have a lot of conversations because I don't, you guys, and I, I will freely admit this. I know my mouth slips a lot and the wrong words coming out the wrong time. Actually, it's really only handed a handful of times now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the first, I remember the first few you're like, Drew, you got to watch what you're saying. Yeah. I'm like, what am I saying? How much time and average do you think you spend just editing? It probably takes me four hours to do a, a one hour podcast. It, and it just depends. Like, in the past, How do you find that four hours? We just went over everything you just did. I mean, I'm giving you a lot of credit and compliments here, man. Well, and you got to remember what was happening for three of the five years that we did this. We had the pandemic. And the only good thing, the only good thing about the pandemic was that everything else I was doing stopped. You know, scouts, we all had to go online and we couldn't have campouts or anything like that. So, I mean, basically that was down to, oh, hey, it's 15 minutes before the meeting. Let's put on the Zoom call. And then, you know, we're done afterwards. And and actually, I'm, I'm, I got to say, I'm really proud of the scouts and my scout troop because they went and, you know, they took that on as a challenge. And basically, it's like we went through the, the book and it's like, okay, what skills can we teach over a Zoom call? And we and it turned out there was a bunch of them. And we, you know, nailed them all down. We actually did all of them. And then when we round out that, it's like, well, what else can we do? And then, and then the girls also went and looked up a whole bunch of games they could do online. So we had games after each one. And uh, anyway, but the, so like all the other things I was doing outside, hockey had to stop. Scouts had to, you know, be put on Zoom. So, you know, we didn't have any weekends or anything like that. So um, it actually freed up all of this time. Um, and also that's when, um, the, uh, I got the offer to write the, uh, episode or the, uh, adventure for the Candlekeep Mysteries. And so I, I did have time in my schedule to actually do that. Um, so yeah, but, and then, um, so about, yeah, about all the things I was doing, uh, came to a halt and I could devote all my time just to like edit. And it was really easy cause I came home. There's nothing to do. He says it was easy folks. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do. And well, it, it, it didn't seem easy at the time, but back once things started back up again, I realized how easy I had it because, you know, things would start up and all of a sudden it'd be like, oh, I still have 40 minutes of this podcast epi- you know, episode to edit for this weekend's uh, release. And, oh, I got to leave Friday night for a scout outing. Oh, I better, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's like you come home every night and you're, you're putting in, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes How every night. How much do you sleep a night? Because I'm guessing about not four enough. hours. Not yeah. enough. Um, I know I've walked in here and the first thing yeah. I thought was, are you going to be okay? Because you look exhausted. Um, and well, and, and some of that's just scouts. It, it's just life. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I, I and actually I've had to marshal myself and say, okay, I, I need to be in bed by 10 o'clock because I have to get up at 530 in the morning to get into the winery. Um, and a lot of times that'll like be... 11 o'clock when I finally get to bed. Um, and, uh, but there have been times where it's like, there was uh, several times actually that I put the episode release on the wrong day because it's the next day. And, you know, at, in my brain after midnight, it's like, I'm not into the next day already. So it's like, I put the release for Monday instead of Sunday because it was already Sunday when, you know, when I finished editing the podcast. And so it's like, you know, Sunday morning comes around. It's like, why didn't it release? It's like, Oh, I said it for Monday. Oh, because that's the next day after Sunday. I finished it because it was 12.05 or 12.30 uh, when I, I was curious editing. about that because I, I am probably the only person at the table that listens to our own podcast. Part of it's just mm-hmm. to keep it in my head and the other is because I just enjoy listening to us be goofy. Yeah. Um, I know that we're running a little short on time, but I wanted to dive into something else you just mm-hmm. said. Um, Candlekeep Mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, for those that don't know, 
uh, yes, our our DM is a sponsored author. Was well, that a published co- author? A pop- yeah. Excuse me, not sponsored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Wizard of the Coast. If you hear this, please sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> um, what made you do that? So I got just an email out of the blue um, from Bill Blenheim uh, saying, "Hey, would you like to be a part of this uh, upcoming? Would you like to do some freelance work for us?" And it, at first, I thought this is the worst phishing email ever who would even believe this mm-hmm. uh, because what had happened is chris perkins had sent out an innocent tweet like a year before saying would anybody like to do freelance work for us totally forgot about that and so i got home i actually had got it at a hockey game <laughs> and uh and uh when i was watching not playing i was actually at a hockey and um so i uh i actually went home and i looked him up on linkedin i'm like oh no he's actually a producer at, at uh, wizards and this is real um and it was one of those things like, well, yeah, of course I'd love to be, uh, um, you know, do freelance work. Cause in the past, uh, freelance work had been like, uh, you know, for uh, storm King thunder, it's like, Oh, you made this Citadel and it just listening to the authors. They're like, Oh, and yeah, we're all collaborating. And I was talking to them about what they're doing. And, and I had to, you know, rewrite my stuff to match that. And, and it was great. You know, we're bouncing ideas off each other. That sounded like fun. Of course, then we get the project in and we're completely siloed. And it's like, you know, we're, we're working on our own thing in complete isolation from everyone else. I didn't even know who the other authors were until they sent an email to us all that the product was being released the next week or whatever it was. And I'm like looking down the list of emails going, oh, they're on it. They're, they're on it. They're on They really they're on it. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember the one time we beta test something for a fundraiser for them. And I was just so happy to see my name. Yeah. I mean, I was like a kid, so I couldn't imagine what it's like to be able to walk into your local game store and there's a book, Candle Keeps Mysteries, and you flip over and written by your, you and Chris Perkins. I well, think that's amazing. Well, it's even weirder because um, I didn't even think about it at the time because we were given a level range to make an adventure. Well, they just told you you're going to be level one through five, or did you pull well, out it of was, a hat? It was, or? it was the, they just gave us a block. So, you okay. know, the tier one is one through four, then there's five through uh, eight for tier two. And it's like, you are in tier one, pitch us an adventure for, you know, a level one through four adventure, whatever you want. And at the time I went, well, of course I got to do a level one, not, not thinking about how difficult it would be to write a level one adventure. I think it would be difficult no matter what level adventure. Uh, well, compare that to, um, like level three or four where the players have a lot of hit points uh, and have all of their abilities, you know, they've got all their care of their class features. And it's like, I'm writing with one. It's like, Oh wow. You know, like a mimic could totally wipe a party at level yeah. one. So I had to make it a, a weakened mimic and things like that. So I, I had to kind of wear the fact that the party really couldn't do anything. And uh, you know, they don't, they've got very few abilities very few spells and actually there was i would listen to one of the play tests of uh joy of extra dimensional spaces and after they got done they're like yeah i forgot how you know first level characters can't do anything yeah um that's that's not a joke you know on the other end of it probably much more difficult to to do like the level 15 16 things where you're now facing off against creatures that have lair actions and Mm -hmm. things like that you have a lot of options but so do the creatures yeah and and then you also have to write around all those options too it's like oh well i'll just shadow step across there oh gotta take that into account you know um anyway so um you know they gave me the the level range and and i you know of course i had to do level one because i'm an idiot but i never thought about it um i don't say you're an idiot because yeah. I, th- I honestly think that you have to rank through that that probably somebody even second or third level would have problems with that and i think that's a good thing yeah and anyway so i the one thing i never thought about was oh first level 
it's going to be the first adventure in the book. So when they did all of the... Uh, and that means everyone's going to expect what's more to expect after your adventure. Well, it was even weird because when, when they sent it to all the reviewers and the reviewers who were doing their reviews on YouTube and all that, they're like going through the front, the middle, and they're like, oh, and here's the first adventure by Mike Polkinghorne. I'm like, oh my gosh, every person's going to read off my name. This is really weird. Did you get any fan mail? Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've gotten, I'm, you know, did uh, you get any hate mail? Yeah, no, thankfully. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, you always get the few people there's that, always that, person. that were like, I didn't like this part of it. And I didn't like this part of it, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, feedback's a gift. You got to take this. Okay. Well, you know, you know, take, take, maybe take with a grain of salt. Maybe this is just the one person who didn't like yeah. the one thing. Well, seeing so, you know, the most skilled story of people yeah. out there, the most popular still get the very same email. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, at the same time, you can also go, you know, maybe I could have done that a little better. And so the next time you, you do something similar, you do do a, a little a little different take on it to make it a little better. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, I did get a lot of folks that, you know, tweeted at me or emailed me and said, you know, they, they really enjoyed this part of it and things like that. So um, pulling it back to your world at the every episode, where did the Dungeon Master's notes come from? Okay. Um, so if we go way in the Wayback Machine, one of the very first... D&D podcast there ever was uh, was called Icosahedrophilia. Gesundheit. So it's the, the love of 20-sided dice or 20-sided objects. And the guy who was running it would, and I am, I'm, I'm 100% sure it's not out there anymore. I, I've been able to find it. Uh, but the guy would do that at the end of the time. He would, he would and it was, wasn't quite like I'm doing it, but he would, you know, kind of do a, a quick synopsis. Um, and, but then he also like list what, um, minis he had used and things like that. And, and, you know, so you could do the same thing if you wanted to. Uh, and I'm like, you know, this is a really good idea, you know, go in and, and kind of do the behind the screen thing about what happened. Well, I think we're around episode 340 ish. Yeah. 276 episodes of the actual, right. um, the actual campaign plus the, yeah, the bonus episodes are bring us over so 300. Yeah. You've been the mastermind and in some cases the victim yeah. <laughs> of a lot of creative thinking here um decisions or uh, dis- uh actions or i'm gonna try i mean we just had one that will come out soon about someone trying to walk a rampart now well that worked out yep. is there one that you ever now and again just pops into your head like it lives in your hand rent free is how the phrase goes that you're just like i just cannot believe they did that and it worked or it didn't work um well yeah you always get those the Fun things that happen. I mean, like the thing that jumps out right away is is um, Matthew putting the bag of holding over the that head of the illithid and and embrace. Now, part part of it wasn't creative because I think that particular one's been floating around the internet for a while as as a thing you can do. I thought that was going to be a lot more destructive. Like I really yeah. thought he was going to like rip a literally rip a hole in the campaign yeah. and suck all of us out through it. Um, well, and you know that could have been some way you wanted to go, but that's not the the way I wanted the campaign to go, especially knowing what was going to happen when you got to the elder brain. Yeah. Um, you already had the story set up. That but, one scared me. But but it is kind of always amazing how um, creative the players can be. And can, I want to do this and this. And one this is where the uh, yes and or yes but needs to come mm. in because there's so many things you got to say yes to. And I, I remember even back uh, when we were um, doing the the red box for this edition. And you had the Lost Minds of Fandelver. And there's a... Uh, Which I think was a re- well-written thing. To yeah. Know. Yeah. And, and there's a, a, a plank crossing a chasm that has been yeah. sawed through. So you fall through. And so the first person went across it. And of course, they were the dwarf in, in heavy plates. <laughs> so of course, they went right through it. And one of the players at the table says, can I grab him as he falls? Well, I mean, in the action economy, no, you probably can't grab him in time. But rule of cool, 
Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a, a, uh, a acrobatics roll to see if you can grab them. That that's one of the the rule of cool. That's really interesting mm-hmm. because I don't want because I'm again different generation. I'm kind of like you. I don't have anything that can save them. But then I notice the younger players like, can I reach out and grab his hand? I would never think to ask that simple yeah. question. Yeah, and um, there's a, there's another good rule of thumb that another dungeon master uh, said on one of the the podcasts that I listened to, and um, he said. Never tell the players no. Let the dice play. Tell them no. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, yeah, you can do this incredibly difficult thing, but the DC for something like that is going to be twenty three. Yeah, and can, not uh, not yeah. unachievable, but pretty close. Yeah. So you know, you you let them roll against the dice, and then you know the dice say, okay, no, you you rolled a sixteen. You know, it's like you know, you, you didn't you didn't say no, but they, their character just wasn't up to it. So. Mm-hmm. So. Same same branch of thought. Do you have a like? I know we can say well, this is my favorite NPC. Do you have a, a favorite character that was created that by somebody else? And I know it's a, kind of a dangerous question to ask. Cause I'm not looking for favoritism from any one player, but I've seen a lot of characters that I think were just amazing. Some that even make the recording, unfortunately. Um, Chattius is a good example yeah. of that. Do you have somebody that would like they they flopped down, they waited, they played this character, and later after everyone's gone, you're like that might have been the best thing I'd ever seen. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many uh, that we Bile, can pull let, let, out. Yeah. Let, let's open this up. Not just this table, because I know you've been playing mm-hmm. for a while, but has anyone ever pulled out something that was just so unique? You're like, you are a god for creating this. Well, um, you know, it's kind of fun. I mean, I think, um, like, probably with everybody else in the podcast, um, I just love Burnt Spoon to Pieces. Oh. And um, just just because he was, I swear I was not fishing for that. <laughs> he was so off the wall, different. You're like, how did you even think up this? And it was great. But then, um, you know, some of the other ones that um, we've done, like um, Jesse's character Sora, the the uh, leader of the of the Dragonborn mm-hmm. Guard contingent. Um, I 100% think she didn't come into it thinking that her character was going to be end up being the leader of that group. And I think she fought that particular destiny for a long time. I would agree because that's kind yeah. of what happened with me was with Grunval slash Kravals. Mm-hmm. I was forced to become the unofficial leader outside the cities. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and I, I kind of laughed. I, I kind of thought the only thing I had really, really in common with her at the time when she did Sora is just that mm-hmm. Sora would like you're a leader. And she's like, Oh no, I'm not. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it was kind of to see her kind of basically come around to embracing that leadership role. Mm-hmm. So that one, that one just made me feel pretty good just because uh, of that. And, and, you know, there's been so many other little mini episodes where, you know, a character has just done something pretty fantastic. Like, Oh my gosh, Owen, when his character Arlen went back to his family farm. Yes. And, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, we're visiting the Waltons. And you're like, I didn't think it was going to go nearly that well. And and then all of a sudden out of blue, he just says, is my favorite cow here. And we're like, of course you have a favorite cow. <laughs> of my, course you do. My favorite will always be the rose soup. That was, oh, out, yes. that was yeah. so out there. That was good. Um, <laughs> like I said, I know that I'll show you what mine real quick. Cause I don't know if we ever recorded it, but we did um, something. Matt and Jesse made two different characters have were not supposed to have anything to do with one another. And Matt at the last second made a change and God bless Jesse. She didn't play along with it, but at the same time she didn't, I don't know if you remember this, but he yes. made a wizard mm-hmm. who cast fine familiar, but he botched it. But his backstory was he didn't realize he botched it. So when the Kanku walked in, he just immediately thought the Kanku was his familiar. And yeah. that was Jesse's character. I would have really liked to see that by play. Cause she can't talk. Mm-hmm. To tell him no, yeah. 
that was one of the ones we did for one of the playtests. I think Wizard, so, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, that was that was actually hilarious to play through. I really like, and that's that's what I liked about your world and the way you run your world. Um, every I can sit down and come up with two or three examples of how every player in different situations has shined, and I think the mark of a good dungeon master is when anybody else at your table can say that. Yeah. And, and so, that's kind of one of the base level things um, for running a good campaign for your table is, yeah, you want to have the spotlight on everybody at some point mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't want, I mean, we, have, we players... have actually three shy speakers at this table. Yes. Well, they used to be, I think they've gotten much better, but yes, I think, uh, thinks, um, sorcerer whose name i'm arlen yes played by owen he's did the most improvement bryce has gotten just more comfortable with his yes. character we're still working on mel yeah and then um i love how socially awkward adrius mm-hmm. you know so it's interesting it's a yeah. challenge there by itself and it, but i think she's also embraced it as well yes and, it's yeah. it, it's it's no longer the it's no longer the player's awkward it's the character's just awkward yeah um and part of that was just like this was her very first campaign, so yeah. she was trying to find her feet as a player while we're going through a recorded campaign that's now going to go on for five years. Well, and I've noticed that that you know you're more comfortable with the microphone, you're more comfortable mm-hmm. with the material, and I think that's really good. But again, it all again, and <laughs> I say yes, I'm going to keep tooting the horn here. It all feeds back to you. Um, I don't know if I ever said it in a recording. I'll say it now. Thank you for inviting me into the world that lives inside your head. Um, well, I'm, thank you for coming on in today. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually this is actually fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, you uh, ask us this, and I, I don't know how to phrase this. So I'll just ask you like you would ask us. What do you think about what's coming next for the party? So um, this is this whole section has been kind of fun because when I first conceived of the end, well, when I first conceived of the end of this, it wasn't anything like this, and uh, partially because we had to rearrange the cast. So, like for instance, that Abeleth that. The mm-hmm. split party had to run into to save Arlen's character from blowing up. That was actually supposed to be one of the Flactory Guardians who was oh. um, living below the um, castle of a sea castle of um, a bunch of bandits who are out on the coast, and that was that was a sea ruler who um, that uh, lived without even a care. And then when Jesse joined the party and we now had a half drow, I'm like, okay, well, one of the one, you know, in order to make her character shine, I'm now going to have to put one of the phylacteries down in the underdark with the drow, which kind of kicks this out. So then I had to go, okay, well, who's the sea ruler? Cause I've already put that into the poem. Mm-hmm. And then that became the storm giant that you visited that had a beholder underneath. See, I would them. never have guessed any of this. And yeah, I totally had to rearrange that. But then, of course, that meant that I had to rearrange the end. It's like, okay, well, what's going to happen at the end? And so we got through the the phylacteries to the point where, and I'm like, I still have five levels left to go. I mean, I could have just said, okay, we're going to stop this at level 15, and you're going to go to the underworld, and you're going to face off against a big baddie at 15. But no, I really wanted you guys to be 20. It's, I mean, we've gone this far. We should go all the way to the end. And so I'm like, well, what am I going to do with five levels? It's like, and you know we it could have been you know chasing MacGuffins round for five levels, but um, you know that could be pretty dull. And I'm like then I conceived of the fact that oh hey you know, in order to get the underworld you're going to probably have to get even more powerful items than you have now because it's a low magic world you don't have a lot of magic mm-hmm. items, 
And then that's when I conceived of the five rings to go to the five individual adventures that you were going to go off to. Um, and actually, it, I was thinking about just doing those as individual adventures. It's like you would go with Craval and do a solo adventure, but then it'd be like, that's going to be a recording nightmare because like, you know, either we could record them all together um, you know, just it's like, getting the table. It's like would you're you're a, you're on the first week of the month, and then the second week is this one, third and fourth, six, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, um, then the rest of the people would be sitting around twiddling their thumbs at home, um, or we and and we, the way it was set up, I couldn't like okay, when when is somebody available, and then like just right because they it kind of had to go in order because then they were going to all appear in Cotter's reality at the end. Um, so we couldn't have it's like, oh, I'm available, unavailable on all the weekends you want to record, um, but my character is supposed to appear third in in Cotter's reality. So, um, so that caused all sorts of trouble. So then I just like, okay, well, we're going to have individual ones, but a copy of you is going to appear, which I thought was a great other, idea. Yeah, I, I've never I've never heard of anything like this. So I think at least in this much we've hit something original there. Yeah. So well, listeners, um, thank you for listening into us. Um, stealing Michael the Dungeon Master's mm-hmm. line. What ne- what resides next for the party? Well, just we'll have to find out next time. So, meanwhile, enjoy your holidays or I think these will come out around New Year maybe. Something like that, yes. Yeah. And thank you for listening to the world that lives inside Michael the Dungeon Master's mind. So really all of our heads when you think about it. <laughs>